This is The Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Morning, everybody. This is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to episode 166 of The Wealth Standard Radio. And boy, do I have a treat for you today. So I'm going to uh, replay a webinar that I did this week with my close friend and mentor, Tom Wheelwright. Now, Tom has been on the podcast before, and many of you do know his name, but just for those of you who don't, Tom is a best-selling author. He wrote the book, Tax-Free Wealth. He is the founder and CEO of Provision Wealth, which is a tax and accounting firm. And also they do a lot of wealth strategy for entrepreneurs, business owners, and real estate investors. But Tom also is one of the closest confidants of Robert Kiyosaki. And Robert Kiyosaki is the author of Rich Dad Poor Dad, among many other best-selling works. So Tom and I did a webinar based on a very special announcement that he has in the next few days. So you don't want to miss what that is. So without further ado, here is the replay of the audio for the webinar that Tom and I did uh, this week. Enjoy. Hi everyone, uh, this is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome, uh, welcome to the webinar. I'm, I'm ecstatic to, uh, to be here with you and also to introduce my, my good friend, uh, a mentor, an instrumental mentor of mine, and uh, the host of this webinar. His name is, uh, is Tom Wheelwright. Tom is a uh, best-selling author of uh, Tax-Free Wealth, which is part of the Rich Dad Advisor series. He's also a Rich Dad Advisor, and I've had the, the privilege of knowing him for about 10 years now, a little over 10 years. And he, by, by, uh, bar none, is the, the, the foremost expert in taxes, uh, especially when it comes to uh, entre uh, being an entrepreneur, business owner, real estate investor, and so tonight, Really what we're gonna be learning is uh, just what's in store for this webinar coming up on Wednesday. Uh, so Tom, you, you know, you're, uh, you're clearly a huge fan of education and believe that education, the more education you have, the less risk you have. And so looking at really the premise of this webinar, especially the one on Wednesday, is that uh, you, know, you, can, you can use the tax code to avoid taxes. Well, yeah, so here, here's what most people don't understand. And, and by the way, welcome everybody. It's uh, Tom Wheeler here, and just, just great to have you here, just kind of as a, as a preview to our event on Wednesday. Um, you know, I've been doing this for 35 years. I've been teaching business owners and investors how to permanently use the tax, and I've, I love it. I love taxes. I think taxes are, frankly, they're the single fastest way to put money in your pocket is to reduce your taxes. I mean, biggest expense, so you just may put money in your pocket to reduce your expenses. What, what most people don't realize about the tax law is, you know, they think, well, you know, the tax law is really there to raise revenue. And um, in my research, the U.S. government raises about 2.1 trillion, write this up here, 2.1 trillion dollars in revenue every year from the income from, from, from income tax, okay? What most people don't recognize, though, is that that's only one purpose of law. In fact, if you look at the tax law, there's one line that says all income's taxable unless we say it isn't. And then there's about 29 pages of charts and tables to tell you how much tax to pay. That's 30 pages. Literally, that is all the tax law would have to be if all it was for was to raise revenue. And in fact, so, so we have about 6,000 pages of tax on the US. Uh, Great Britain has about twice that, 12,000, and Canada has about half that, 
Okay, so somewhere between 3,000 and 12,000 pages of tax law in every country. Okay, well, if you ever stop to wonder why, why is the tax law so complicated? Why, you know, we're always talking about simplification, Patrick. You know, we hear the, the uh, candidates and the, you know, the Republicans especially, they're all about simplification. And of course, the Democrats don't hear that because they really don't want it simple. And there's a reason that the Democrats don't want it simplified. And that is because of the primary purpose of the tax law. While the tax law raises 2.1 trillion, there are actually tax benefits equal to 7.1 trillion in the tax law. Hmm. So you go, okay, 2.17, 30 pages, 5,770 pages. What's the real purpose of the tax law? And I think this is where most people, and, and you know, it's like Donald Trump talks about, you know, Donald Trump won't do this tax well, for good reason. Because you really think Donald tax, Trump is paying tax, and the answer is... Probably not. Is, it's be, it's, <laughs> if, if he is, it's because he's got horrible tax advisors, because when you own that much real estate, you should not be paying taxes, period. Because the tax law, um, let me put it this way. The tax law is nothing more or less than a series of incentives. That's all it is. It's a series of incentives. And, and then the question is, okay, well, it's a series of incentives. See, look, people think, well, I should pay my tax because that's my patriotic duty. But that's a misnomer because if, if, you th if, if, if the primary purpose was raising revenue, that would be accurate then you, you pay your tax, do your patriotic duty. But when the primary purpose is to direct government policy, which is the primary purpose of it, I, I, I think of it this way, Patrick. So you've got a bunch of employees there at Paragon, right? Yep. So um, if you want them to behave a certain way, what do you do? You incentivize them. Exactly, you, you say, if you do this, I'll give you this much money, or I'll give you this benefit, or I'll give you this day off. Or, I'll do something to give you an incentive in order to do that because that's how people respond. So when you, when you think about what do people hate most in this world? You know, people say, I, I, I don't know if you ever heard this, Patrick, but you ever heard people say that, that what, the one thing that people are more afraid of than anything else is public speaking? Have you heard that? I've heard that before. <laughs> so there's one thing that people are more afraid of than public speaking, and that's an IRS audit. And people are scared to death of an IRS audit. And then they should, because most people will just get hammered by the IRS. The IRS, they're not the nicest people in the world. I, I will tell you. They used to be better. Uh, <laughs> these days, they're, they're really, I, I think, under the current administration. I'm, I'm not talking about the current presidential administration. I'm telling about the current IRS administration. I do not think they're always that helpful or friendly. They're, I mean, if you can think about it. You think of a worse job to have, Patrick? I mean, seriously, you come out of school, you go, where should I go to work? Should I should I be a proctologist or should I be an IRS agent? Seriously, you're going to choose proctology because it pays more and and, and and it's less offensive. And especially lately, there's they've been under the gun because of a lot of a lot of different things oh that they've done. Oh my heavens, they have they have they have no funding. You know, their funding's down, and they, they get criticized a lot. And so what do they do? They make it worse by being you know, I, I've seen some pretty nasty audits. Well, people should be afraid, but but. But there's a difference between between the IRS and the tax law. And this is a, 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 a big differential that people really should be making. Is that the, 
the IRS, they're to enforce, okay? They're the enforcement arm of, of, of the tax law, but they're not the creation law of the tax law, okay? The law wasn't created by the IRS. The law was created by the politicians. And the politicians are going, look, so circling back to incentives, the politicians are saying, look, we, let, let's see, people hate paying taxes. Then a little bit of a tax incentive might go a long ways. So they started back from the 1960s, they started with what was called the investment tax credit back then. And the investment tax credit was um, basically, it was about a, Ten percent credit. Okay, it's about a ten percent credit on on buying new equipment, and it turned out that it worked really really well. So it, it stimulated this investment in new equipment. So uh, when Reagan came on, now even before Reagan, there were all sorts of incentives. But Reagan goes, you know, we had we had this thing called stagflation back in the uh, late seventies. And, and early 80s. And so Ronald Reagan and his advisors, they said, well, we need to get out of this. And uh, what do we need to do? Well, let's stimulate, actually what they first said was let's stimulate real estate. Let's still stimulate state real estate. So what they did was they give this huge incentive. And the huge incentive for real estate is called depreciation. And, you know, now, I mean, there's a big incentive for real estate right now. It, it's not the same as it was under Reagan. Under Reagan, um, a building was depreciated over 18 years. It originally was 18 years. And then now it's up to 39, right? But for commercial buildings. Really wanted to stimulate the economy, really wanted to stimulate real estate, and he felt like to stimulate real estate, that would be a good thing. Well, Reagan's really the one who, I think, um, used the tax law uh, to a great extent. You think, Reagan, there was an 81 tax act, there was an 82 tax act, 84 tax act, 86 tax act was the, was the last time the whole tax law has been rewritten. 87 act, okay? So there were tax acts almost every single year of Reagan's presidency, there was a new major tax law, huh. including a complete rewrite tax code. So he believed, and his advisors believed, that you stimulate the economy through tax incentives. And he, you know, he started with depreciation, and then he went to you know, several others. And as, when, when you start to look at, at that side of uh, the tax law, and you look at it as an incentive as opposed to a punishment, because I don't think the tax law is a punishment, um, uh, taxes, I actually think that taxes are a punishment for those, for the uneducated. That's what I think. I think taxes do become a punishment for the uneducated because there's so many incentives in the tax law that um, it, it's crazy to be paying high taxes. So let me show you what, what Robert Kiyosaki, now number, I know a lot of your, um, a lot of our listeners will be familiar with this. I'm, I'm drawing up the cash flow quadrant here. Well, Tom, as you draw this out, let me, let me just restate everything that you just said, because I think yep. when, you, when you say it, we, and we've had this conversation a number of times. Remember, we did a podcast on this uh, probably a year, year or so ago. Uh, they had, we had a ton of amazing feedback on, and it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a, a paradigm of taxes that hardly anybody has, because when people look at taxes, they look at it as 
as a punishment, right? As you have to pay this because the government needs it to, to survive. But what you're articulating right now is that you know for 2.1 trillion dollars, that's that's the case, right? But there's 17 trillion dollars that that I mean, nobody really talks about that. And frankly, I never really saw that figure because, and I'm assuming that's a response you get from a lot of people. 17 trillion dollars was it stimulated the economy through tax breaks that the government wanted to create because they basically said we need money to flow into these different areas and therefore they you know tax legislation exists so that the money can flow to those different areas and last year alone it was represented by 17 trillion dollars am i am i am i accurate there you're, 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 you're spot on so so the government has all these different policies right and and i i break them down into five five categories you've got social policy you've got um economic policy, you've got environmental policy, you have energy policy, and you have international policy. And I can name dozens of tax benefits related to every single policy. But what, 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 what's a social policy as an example? Well, what, what's one social policy? Adoption. We want to take care of, of orphaned or kids that need adopted. So what do we have? We have, we have a credit for adoption. What about um, education? We want our kids to be educated. We want to get higher education. So what do we do? We have a tax credit for education. How about the most recent one? We want everybody to have health care. So what do we do? We give them a tax credit for having health care. And we actually, that is one of the cases where you're punished if you don't. Yeah. Okay, so there's a punishment there if you don't have health care. Remember, the Supreme Court, the reason that the uh, 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 Affordable Care Act um, or Obamacare was uh, was upheld of the Supreme Court was that it was a tax. Okay, so remember those are social policies. What about economic policies? We you know we've got depreciation, we've got um, all sorts of, of deductions, we've got all sorts of, of tax rate benefits. I mean, look at from a from an investment standpoint. So what's Hillary's big proposal? She has two two. Well, I think three major proposals. But her very first one, she first came out with almost uh, over a year ago was that she wanted to extend the capital gains period from a year to six years. That's an investment policy. That is directly saying, we'd like you to leave your money in the market longer. That's all that's saying. That is a government incentive to leave the money in the market a longer period of time. If you leave it in a longer period of time, we're giving you a tax benefit. If you, if you, if you take it out quicker than that, we're going to tax you, okay, at a higher rate. So that's a tax benefit. That's a tax incentive, and it's something that for, and I don't, understand all of Hillary Clinton's um, reasons behind that, um, why, why that was such a cornerstone of first thing she ever came out with tax-wise, but it is. I mean, it's just a fact, right? You know, you look, you look at Trump. What does Trump want to do? Same, same, same difference. He wants to reduce the business tax rate to 15%. I actually think he's a little low on that. I, I think 25% would be a good number, but he wants to reduce the business tax rate. Why? Because our business tax rate, our corporate tax rate is the highest corporate tax rate in the world. In the world, yeah. Okay. Everybody else is under 30%. Okay, we're the only ones, really the only ones over 30%. Most of them are in that 25 to 28% range. So if we got down to 25%, if we got down to 15%, we would be a tax haven. If we actually got down to 25%, we would have the, we, we, we would be the Ireland of the world. Okay, so right now you hear about all this corporate inversion and everything. People are going to Ireland. Why are they going to Ireland? They're going to Ireland because Ireland's got low tax rate. Okay, that's why Google's there, that's why Apple's there, that's why, you know, all, you, you hear all about this and, and these evil corporations. They're not evil corporations, they're, they're just following the tax law. They're saying, look, 
What the tax law is saying right now is, we don't want you to be headquartered in the US. If you're headquartered in the US, you're punished. If you're headquartered in Ireland, you're rewarded. So that's all it is. It's just, it, it, they're, all they're doing is saying, saying, Ireland's saying, we'll take you. The US doesn't want you, we'll take you. So why don't you pull them over here? It's been great for the Irish economy. Okay, it's been awesome. But if you went to a 15% rate here, you'd have the opposite. You'd actually have people leaving France, Germany, um, Asia. You'd have coming to the US because they're going, well, wait a minute, if I'm in the US, I'm going to be at a 15% tax rate. That's Trump's idea. Well, tr well Trump, did, he wanted to create kind of a, a holiday too, or where they would be able to repatriate, or companies that held money offshore would be able to repatriate yeah, without any tax, right? Two trillion, there's reportedly about two trillion, and, 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 and it could be more, but there's reportedly about two trillion dollars that the companies have earned offshore, and it's been taxed offshore, which, by the way, is appropriate. If you don't earn it in the US, why would it be taxed in the US? And they're not sure. It's staying offshore because the U.S. tax law says that if you bring it back onshore, it's taxed. And what's it taxed at? It's taxed at 35 percent. Yep. Okay. What he's saying is saying, saying, look, bring it back onshore. We'll tax it 10 percent, but we'll get the money into the economy, and it will stimulate the economy. Yep. You know, I, I'm not suggesting one is good or bad. I'm just suggesting that this is the way the tax law works. Yep. Once you understand the way the tax law works, and that is not. You are not doing a bad thing. This is the thing that I hear all the time. Well, if I don't pay my taxes, A, the IRS is going to come get me, and B, I'm being unpatriotic. When the fact is, if you if you see the tax law for what it is, which is a series of incentives, okay, for particularly, and I'm going to draw this now so that you can see this. All right, I'm back on, sorry. Uh, if you can see this, what I'm going to show you is, so, the ESBI, this is this is employee, self-employed, business owner, or big business owner, and investor. Okay, this is a sophisticated investor. So the employee, what happens is, is that the, typically an employee in most countries is going to pay tax at a rate of about 40%. Okay? Self-employed could pay upwards of 60%. The big business owner is going to pay downwards of 20% and the investor can easily get to zero. So my book, Tax Free Wealth, when we talk about tax free, we're talking about, okay, let's, let's get to here, let's get to the investor. And so we're really talking about shifting from the left side of the cash flow quadrant over to the right side. The idea being that if you do, you can't actually get to tax free. And, and I think Donald Trump is at tax free. I'd be shocked if he isn't. Because he's down here. He's in the I quadrant. Now, Warren Buffett, he's in the B quadrant. Okay, that's why he says his, his secretary makes tax more rate than, yeah. is lower than a secretary. Well, a secretary's in the E quadrant, he's in the B quadrant, so it looks to me like it's about half. And that's what I would expect. I would expect Warren Buffett's tax rate to be about half mm -hmm. what his secretary's tax rate is, and I would actually expect Donald Trump's to be zero. Now, when you looked at, at Mitt Romney, when he was running, he was about 13%, right? So 13%, um, he, was, he, was, he was in between here. That's where he was. He was making some of his money in the B quadrant, some of his money in the I quadrant, and that's how he ended up at 13%. Yep. So you know, if, you, if you think about it from that standpoint, now all of a sudden, tax is not so scary. And the only people it's scary to, quite frankly, and the reason people are afraid is because it's your tax advisor that's scary, the, 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 that is afraid of it. Mm -hmm. um, remember that, that most tax advisors, they're accountants. Right, and I love my profession. I'm an accountant. I have a CPA firm. I love my profession. I, I, I love having a CPA firm, and and I think they're really smart people who really care about the clients. 
I think they just misunderstand. I think they're scared of the tax law because they don't understand the tax law. And once you start looking at the tax law, you go, well, this is just a series of sentences. Wait, wait a minute. You mean, you mean the government actually wants me to get to 20%. The government actually wants me to get to 0%. If you look at it from that standpoint, who's patriotic now? Is it the A and the S quadrant that's paying these high taxes, or is it the B and the I quadrant that's paying the low taxes? And from my perspective, if the government is giving you the incentives to get to the B and the I quadrant, then aren't you being more patriotic if you're doing what the government wants you to do than just paying taxes? What the government is saying is, if you don't do what we want you to do, we're going to tax you at a high rate. If you do what we want you to do, we're going to tax you at a low rate. And to me, it's just that simple, Patrick. No, and it is. It is insanely simple, but it is basically the opposite of what most people say, because they say, well, if you're paying zero tax, then you're not paying your fair share. But the thing is, it's like they're paying their fair share in spades because they're actually doing the activities that are more beneficial to the economy than actual paying at income tax. The thing is you're thinking, okay, so, so how am I paying, right? I mean, it's like, it's kind of like the difference between employee and employer, right? I mean, Patrick, you and I have both been employees and, and we're both employers. And we know that there's just a different mentality, right? Now, I, I think my employees are great and you, my employees, um, they, they do great work, all right? And, and I, I love having them around. I also understand that they are producing a certain amount and they contribute a certain amount to the economy. On the other hand, you know, you talk about this big business owner, somebody, uh, a company that employs thousands and thousands of people, who's contributing more to the economy? The employee who produces eight hours a day or 10 hours a day, or the big business who adds thousands of, of, of jobs to the economy, or the, the real estate investor, I mean, even take a, a take a, Donald Trump. Now, I, I actually like his example because what's he doing? Well, he's building these beautiful buildings. Um, now, some people would say, okay, he's in, you know, he's in Atlantic City and Vegas and so forth. Uh, I'm, you know, okay, I'm not going to get into that side of it. You know, you have, you, you go, well, you know, I don't really think that should be, you know, I don't think that should have government incentives. Well, then you should talk to your congressman about it, frankly. You say, well, we're not going to give casinos the same benefits that we give um, uh, housing. Okay, that's fine. I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, the, the the reality is, is that you know, whoever says something about it, and, and you, that this is what lobbying is about. Lobbying is about is convincing the government that they should take their side of the policy initiative. Yep. That's all lobbying is. But all they did, all they did, was follow the instructions that were created for them by by the government. Right. I mean, your, your industry is a perfect example, um, Patrick. I mean, a perfect example because, frankly, you have the best lobby on earth. Um, the, the, life insu the, the insurance lobby is, I think, the best lobby in the entire country. And what, what happened in 1986, I mean, you were too young, but I remember because I was actually in Washington, D.C. at the time, that we had these new passive loss rules enacted, okay? Well, the real estate industry fell asleep at the wheel. That's what happened. Now. I will tell you, this will never happen in the life insurance industry. The life insurance industry, they are all over tax policy. Mm -hmm. They are, I mean, where else can you invest money and it's tax-free? I mean, it's, you have two places, right? You have life insurance and you have Wall Street, Yep. right? Wall Street through the 401k and the Roth IRA, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Well, so who are the two most powerful lobbies in the world? Wall Street and insurance, yep. Wall Street and insurance companies. Well, okay, but then the, they have to convince the government. The government has to say, well, we, Policy. So on the retirement side, the government is saying, look, if we, we're, we're concerned 
that we have all these employees, because this is, I mean, you know, consider this is 80% of the public, right? 80% of the public is over here on the EMES side of the quadrant. So 80% of the public, they're going, how do these people retire? How do they have enough money to retire? We don't want to take care of them when they're old. So what they did was they came up, you know, and actually benefited the big business too, but they came up and said, well, we're going to do the 401k, right? Or in Canada, we're going to do the RRSP. Or in Australia, we're going to do the superannuation, right? We're going to do these things, and what what's that going to do? It's going to do two things <clears throat> from our standpoint. One, it's going to help people have some money at the end of the day, okay? But the other is, it's going to it's going to feed Wall Street. It's going to feed Wall Street. It's going to pump the stock market. So yeah, you, you know, it's like I, I remember watching this um, uh, video that uh, Robert was on uh, CNN. Wolf Blitzer. This is back when he predicted the uh, fall of Lehman Brothers. Uh, Robert did, and uh, and uh, Jean Chatsky was on, and she said, "Well, but we need people to put money in the. In, in, we need people to keep money. We don't want people to pull their money out because that's what drives it." You know what? She was absolutely right. She was absolutely right. That is what drives it. Okay, <laughs> that that's exactly what drives it. And, and actually, I think that's one of the reasons behind. it. Because if the, the 401k and the, and the IRA has absolutely driven the stock market. I mean, you have all these people that are putting in every single month, no matter what the price is, no matter no matter how the market's doing, they're putting in every month. So that drives up more money in the stock market. On the other hand, you have um, so and, and then they provide insurance. So that's one side. Now on the life insurance side, look at this. I mean, life insurance. I mean, permanent life insurance, like 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 you guys deal with. Oh my heavens, you've got. You've got this cash surrender value that is never taxable. Mm -hmm. You've got the proceeds that are never taxable. And they've actually made it easy so that on the on the estate planning side, it's never taxable even when you die. Yep. So you could have millions and millions of dollars that you're paying very little for yep. up front. You know, you can once talk about an investment, you can have a nice, safe, solid investment from my standpoint. You go, okay, I, I actually like what I like about a whole life policy, for example, is that this is just safety. This is not it's not sexy, it's not gonna earn a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, yeah, I know we can do the leverage and the, the um, cash flow banking, et cetera. But by itself, it's a very safe, it's just a safe investment for me. But I also have this life insurance aspect to it, which is also an asset because, as you explained to me once, Patrick, the, this idea that 97% of whole life is actually paid out, whereas less than 1% of term is paid out, I'm going, well, that's the difference between an expense and an asset. That's all that is. And you know, if I look at the cash flow quadrant, I'm going well. It's over here, we're looking at assets on the right-hand side, and over here we look at expenses, right? So that's the difference. Is it's just the way you think about it. So that's why Robert uses the cash flow quadrant so much to explain is that it's looking, going look. If if you want to be, if you want to think in terms of income and expense, that's the left side of the quadrant. Well, I think another what's cool as you've been talking, and I and I I've identified this before, but not not the way in which I just did, because if you look at again, you're you have kind of two layers of incentives, right? You have the first layer, which is obviously you know people being able to save and save more so that they have some sort of responsibility when they're you know in their older ages, and that's why they go into the stock market and so forth. But if you really look at it in the stock market, what is it? It's it's essentially ownership in multiple businesses. 
right? Thousands, thousands, you know, tens of thousands probably. But those businesses rely on that capital in order to, you know, in order to operate, right? And if you look at, you know, their operations, it employs people, it, you know, and stimulates the economy. So you have kind of a second layer there, but also from the insurance side of things, there's really kind of two derivatives, if you will. First one is the insurance industry is one of the biggest investors in, in corporate in, in corporations, right? Through corporate, uh, you know, uh, corporate bonds and paper and debt and so forth. Okay, they also facilitate a ton of huge real estate transactions, huge, huge real estate transactions, right? That was supposed to be a joke, a joke, Tom. <laughs> yeah, and then the second, the second part of it is if you look at the insurance industry, especially permanent insurance, right? It is money that's going to be passed on to a future generation, right? Either, you know, when a person passes away in old age or in younger age, right? Because it replaces income that, uh, of a person that, that passes away. That's the, kind of the true nature of insurance. So it stimulates in multiple regards. But again, the, you know, the paradigm and the eyes that you look at certain things, okay, once you have kind of the producer mindset, the investor mindset, that's when you see why the tax law exists. And hopefully, you know, this conversation is, is helping you see it even further as to, wow, if the government wants to stimulate, this is how they do it, and you can use the tax code in order to you know, figure out ways in which you can pay less taxes, both now and in the future. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So that's the whole point. I mean, and I'm going to get into, I'll get into a lot more on Wednesday, of course, how to do it, you know, and, and how to actually take advantage and what incentives there are and how the government actually does, does this. Um, I think, though, if people can get in their mind that that this is a positive, not a negative. I mean, it, it, you know, I always tell people that my mission in life is to make taxes fun, easy, and understandable. And um, and my favorite, of course, my favorite quote is from Albert Einstein, who said that uh, the most difficult thing in the world to understand is income tax. But he also said said um, it takes uh, any six-year-old can explain something to a genius, but it takes a genius to explain something to a situation. <laughs> and, and I think that when it comes to the tax law, we're also afraid of what we feel like the six worlds. And and what what I'd like to explain, I, I wish I had Albert Einstein in the room and could explain, you know what? It's really simple. The tax law is a series of incentives for business owners and investors. And once you t cut it down to that kind of simplicity, then all it is is, okay, where are my incentives? And so what, what we're going to do on Wednesday is we're actually looking at all of these different opportunities, all of these different benefits, and how do I get them? You know, because that's the key. The, 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 the challenge that most advisors have, I'm going to draw this because this is a, this is a big deal to me, and it's kind of my, my soapbox. So um, erase that. And here's, here's the way most tax advisors see the world. Okay, so I'm drawing here. This is just my black box. And this is, I think, the black box theory of giving advice, whether it's tax advice, legal advice, or anything else. And the black box theory goes like this. I've spent all these years, in my case, 35 years. I've spent 35 years learning this. I went to undergraduate, went to graduate school. I, I, I spent three years in the national office at Ernst, Ernst & Winnie, now Ernst Young. I, I, spent, uh, I, I spent years as a tax advisor for a Fortune 500 company. I spent, I spent years with Ernst Young. I spent over 20 years with my own practice. I spent all this time. If I tell you what 
I know you won't need me anymore. Well, but here's the fallacy. The fallacy to that is that that paying less taxes actually does stimulate the economy. But whose economy does it stimulate more than your economy? Because the the reality is is that people want to retire. And people want to get the idea that there's going to come a time when either I can't work or I don't want to work. And if that's going to happen, then I better have some assets set aside, okay? Because I need those assets set aside to pay for that lifestyle, right? Well, we don't. Nobody wants to retire poor. I, I actually, I actually asked this question from Stan. He said, "I said, how many of you?" How many of you want to retire poor? <laughs> and I never get anybody raise their hand. <laughs> and then I asked the question, I asked a similar question, I said, okay, so how many of you want to retire rich? And everybody's hand goes up. And then I, then I asked, how many of you want to retire really rich? And even more hands go up. Well, but the whole premise of the way most advisors uh, do give advice about tax law is it, 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 it assumes you're going to retire poor. It assumes you're going to be in a lower tax bracket when you retire than you are when you're working. Well, the only way that happens is if you're making a lot less money. And people say, yes, but it will need less money. Okay, need is a different, is a, is a different animal than want. Do you want less money? Would you, wouldn't you rather have as much money when you retire, when you have more time to spend it? Then you do while you're working and you have less time to spend it? I mean, to me, that's backwards. Yep. To me, I want to have more money retired than I have while I'm working. Because while I'm working, I, I'm working. I, I don't have time to spend all that money. So when I'm retired, I'm going to have all the time to work. I can, I can golf and I can travel and I can I can see places and I can go places and I can, I can go to nice restaurants, go to nice golf courses, I can go to nice events, I can, I can go to New York, I can go to Broadway, I can go to sporting events, I can go to the Super Bowl, I can go to wherever. Well, that's when I have the time. That's when I want the money. I don't. I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be golfing. I'm sorry, but I do not want to be golfing at the municipal golf course when I retire. Okay, I want to be golfing at, uh, you know, at one of Trump's golf course golf courses. I, I, exactly. I want. I want. Uh, you know, Trump. Trump. Trump's course in, in California, the one in Florida. I mean, these are top-notch courses. Oh, yeah. I want to be golfing at. You know, I want to, uh, uh, you know, Beth Payne Black. I want, I want to be golfing at these really nice golf courses. I mean, that's a public golf course, but that's the nicest one in the world. So, but I want to go to these really nice places, okay? I'm going to need money to do that. Well, here's the thing, Patrick. Uh, you and I have both done the math. You cannot get there if you're paying high taxes. Mm -hmm. it, it's just literally impossible. Yep. So, that's why changing your mindset, at the, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about changing a mindset. From this black box of I don't need to know this to a a really open idea that look I want to take it all in and not only that it's not that complicated it's just not I mean you know you think about okay you think about the details the details a little complicated but the basics aren't complicated I want a business connection it has to be have a business purpose ordinary and necessary that's it and I have document I'm sorry I don't find that to be that complicated. Nope. Okay, all I have to do is, is, is understand in simple terms what is a business purpose, what's ordinary, and what's necessary. Okay, so we'll be talking about that kind of stuff on, uh, in, in our webinar, of course. But that's the whole point of this. The whole point is 
I don't have, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be simple, and I can take control. And this is the, the, the thing. So, um, uh, Patrick, you're in, a, you're in a business that people really can control how much insurance they get, for the most part, how much they put in, what, what they, right? I mean, Correct. There's, a, there's a lot of control when it comes to a uh, permanent insurance policy, right? Correct. Okay, think about, so think about the stock market. How much control is there? Now, you know, our, our, our buddy Andy Tanner, he's awesome. He can, he's learned how to control, you know, getting in and out of the stock market. But the actual stock market, you can't control. What about oil and gas? I mean, oil and gas dropped from over $100 a barrel to $150 a barrel in like overnight. Uh -huh. I mean, everybody was, everybody, every, nobody predicted that one, okay? Uh, what about real estate? I mean, real estate just absolutely tanked. Okay, overnight, 2007, 2008, 2009, it just went down so fast, people could not get rid of their real estate. So they didn't have control. I mean, people just don't have control. Taxes is the one thing you can control. Yep. I would actually say taxes and insurance. Those are, those are two, the, probably the only two um, cash flow vehicles, if we shall, if we put it that way. Mm -hmm. I think those are the only two cash flow vehicles that we actually have some serious control over. Yep. And, and taxes is the one, there's tons of money. I mean, average person's paying $30,000, $40,000 a year in tax. I'm going, why? There's, you, you don't have to. Yeah, I mean, you, you probably do, given your current sets of facts and circumstances, but changing your facts and circumstances, not that difficult. Nope. Okay, so that's, that's, the whole, that's my mission. Well, the, and the, well, I think our solution is the same. Tom, our solution is the same, right? The solution is, Nobody wants to go out and get tax tax education because they don't understand what the what the purpose would be. Same thing with insurance. You have to understand how to use it. You have to understand how it can benefit you before it does. And I think, you know, again, going to the point you've made throughout this throughout this webinar, it's it's really on the shoulders of tax advisors uh, where they're giving the advice of what people should do as opposed to people going out and figuring out what to do themselves. And I think that is it's lending to you know the idea of people paying far too far too much in tax than they have to. Well, I, I think that they just don't know where to go. I, I, I'm convinced they just don't know where to go. You know, I I, I travel the world with um, Robert um, Kiyosaki, um, and uh, I literally will be on all six continents this year with Robert. I mean, wow! Quite literally a world tour, and I find that it's the same everywhere. I mean, people, you know, one of the questions I'll ask from stages is, how many of you have ever been told not to take a deduction that you thought you were entitled to? And almost every hand goes up every time, whether I'm in South Africa or huh. Australia or Chile or Canada or China or Japan, it doesn't matter. Hands always go up. And in the U.S., I always follow that up with how many of you got lose that home office deduction. Most most people, their hands stay up. Well, because why? They go, well, it's a red flag. It's a red flag. I was going to say the same thing. Tax, <laughs> it's a specific tax deduction in the law. Yep. It, it's not like you're doing something that's aggressive here. This is something that's allowed and available, and it, actually you're told how to do it yeah. in the law. Well, when you have specific instructions, to me that's going, well, when I hear somebody say that, what what I hear is, I hear that their tax advisor is afraid of the IRS. And I think, and you know what? I, that, I actually had a, I had a student once. She had her own tax um, 
uh, preparation firm, and she was a, a in my master. I, I, I was teaching at uh, Arizona State University in their master of tax program, and I said, so tell me about your the tax rules you, you do. And I said, she goes, I don't do any. It's too risky. <laughs> like, wow. I mean, I, I think that from a from a client standpoint, I'm going. Well, too risky for you, but it's way risky. Yeah, you've given me all the risk. You've given me all of the expense because you're not doing any consulting. So here's what I think. I actually think I think it's time for people to take this into their own hands. I actually think it's time for people to, uh, and this is, we'll talk about this um, in, in our webinar on Wednesday. I think it's time for people to take it into their own hands and say, I'm going to get the tax education. That's why, that's why I wrote Tax Free Wealth. It took me, um, uh, as you imagine, writing a book, I mean, it takes some time to write a book. And I pretty much put everything I knew into that book. I mean, I just go, well, you know, in fact, I even asked my partner, our managing partner at the time, Rob, um, who I know you've met, I said, so, so Rob, what should I leave out of the book? He said, don't leave anything out. Put them on there. Give them, all, give them everything. I, I think people can understand taxes, just like I think people can understand finance. I think the biggest lie on Wall Street is that you're you're not smart enough to handle finance. You're, the money's too difficult to understand, so therefore you should turn it over to us. I think that's the big Wall Street lie. Yep. I think the big tax lie, the, the big tax advisor lie, lie is, well, you should just let me handle your taxes because you don't need to understand. It's way too complicated for you. Well, that's belonging. It's simple. Tax was a series of incentives for business owners and investors. Next. It's, it's really, you know, now how you're going to do that, I mean, in, 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 our, in our webinar, we'll explain exactly how we're going to do that, right? We'll explain how to do that. How do you go and get those incentives? How do you determine which incentives belong to you? And we've actually developed a system for it. We actually call it our five-step system. Um, uh, we, we put a name to it, Tax-Free Formula. And it, it's pretty cool, actually, because um, as I was developing this, I thought, well, what could I do to make it as simple, as simple as possible? Now, anybody who's been on stage with Robert Kiyosaki knows that he just hates complexity. Absolutely hates complexity. And he just will hammer you. In fact, he'll stop me. I will be on stage, and I'll have 10,000 people that, 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 that are in the audience, and Robert will say, Tom, that's too complex. You need, you've got to simplify it. Simplify it. Do that to me right <laughs> on stage. Wow. Right? So we're just, we're just, it's drilled into us to simplify. And what all of us have been able to do, whether it's Andy with um, stocks or Ken McElroy with real estate or Garrett Sutton with law, asset protection, or, or me with taxes, what we've all been able to do is we've all been able to really simplify. So what, once it's simple, now it's going, oh, well, you mean I could reduce my taxes by 25%? Well, that would be cool. I mean, think about what you do with that money. If you've got a $40,000 tax a year, you reduce it by 25%, that's $10,000. You know, in $10,000, if you invested $10,000 for 30 years tax-free at 10%, it adds up. Interest, it'd be worth $200,000. Wow. So every $10,000 of taxes that you give up voluntarily to the government because you, you've chosen not to learn the simple ways to reduce your taxes, You've really given up two hundred thousand dollars for every ten thousand dollars. Okay, so think about that. Every year, if you're giving up ten thousand dollars, you're giving up two hundred thousand. And think about that over, I mean, ten years. That's two million dollars. You, you've just given up two million dollars that you don't need to give up. You know, our, our our mutual friend Kim Butler, right? 
um, that's actually how I met Patrick was through a, through a, a client of ours, a mutual yep. friend, great another great insurance person, and 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 Kim actually is she's on uh, recording as saying that that actually we say she saved seventy thousand dollars a year doing what you know once she went through our five steps, and that seventy thousand dollars I actually calculated at ten percent return, four million dollars. So that's four million dollars, and at the point. Oh my heavens! It's just—it's just staggering the amount of money that we're giving up voluntarily that we don't have to, and it's—I I think a lot of it is just as Robert says. It's context. It's how do we think about it as opposed to what you know. Once you start thinking about it differently, then you can do something different, right, Patrick? It's the same thing. No, and that's yeah. It's well, it's it's everything. I mean, I would say it's the majority of of financial affairs that's going to separate the poor from the from the rich. It's it all comes down to all comes down to education. And it, and it's your education. It's not relying on somebody else necessarily. So I'm, that's what's awesome about you know what you're going to be presenting Wednesday is that you know it really is based on what you you know what you want to empower people with the tools that you want to empower them with uh, in order to create massive wealth. Because that's what you said. I mean, you use this phrase all the time, and maybe I'll I'll botch it up, but it's you know the the quickest and most significant rate of return is to reduce your taxes or easiest way to make more money. Absolutely, fast, I, I, you know, and I, I'll put it in my terms. I just say fast way to put money in your pocket is 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 to reduce your taxes, and it it, it gets even simpler than that. All you have to do to reduce your taxes, all you have to do to reduce your tax, change your facts. So you want to you know change your tax, change your facts, and it's really that simple. So then it's just a matter of understanding which facts you have to change and what you need to do, and and make sure that you know you're not changing facts you don't want to change. Right, so you want to make it simple for you. You want it something that's that's absolutely applicable to you. So what we're going to do on Wednesday is talk about how you can take and figure out what exactly is applicable to you. Okay, how do you know what's right for you? How do you know what tax incentives are there for you? And we actually walk through, and there's a formula for it. There's actually a, uh, you know, if you look at, um, you know, I'm looking at, at, at the weather right now. Um, because we've got a, looks like we've got a storm brewing. And you look at nature, you know, there's a lot of patterns in nature. And that's how weathermen predict, predict the weather, is they look at the patterns. What, what people don't recognize always is that there are patterns in everything. Yep. And there are actually patterns in the tax law. And what, what I've, I've done is I've gone through and identified patterns. And once you identify the patterns, you can create a solution. But even more than that, you can actually create a formula that works for everybody. And so what I've done is actually created a formula, and that's what I'm going to teach on Wednesday. Is and that's what I say. These are, these are five, um, you know, five ways the government will actually pay you to, you know, to, to fund your retirement. Is they actually want you to fund your retirement, and it's not just 401k, it's not just RSP, it's not just superannuation, it's not just IRAs. They there are all there are literally hundreds of ways to fund that retirement. Um, I actually did a, um, when I was in uh, Chile with uh, Robert, uh, he, 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 we, we had the, um, the, the sponsor was the, um, the, the Bentley dealer. Oh, wow. And uh, they, they were Bentley and Lamborghini. And Robert says, Tom, tell them how to deduct them. And so I got up and I started explaining the, the fundamentals about deductions and at, 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 at uh, lunch. This guy comes up to me, and he was actually the, the organizer of the event. His attorney said, you can't do that. Well, I get that everywhere to go, right? <laughs> so I said, explain to me. He said, well, you, you can't do that here. Here's why. Here's the rules and all this kind of stuff. Because it's all caught up in his head, right? It's all caught up in the rules. 
And so I, I went back and I told Robert about my, my uh, interaction with this attorney. He says, okay, he says, so tomorrow, what we're gonna do is we're gonna show people how to deduct the Bentley in Chile. I'm going, okay, so that's a little challenge. We <laughs> actually have a law that says you can't take an automobile expense deduction for business in Chile because that's considered a, uh, a luxury. Nevertheless, we showed them how to deduct a Bentley in Chile. Um, I've actually shown people how to have the government buy your Ferrari for you. Uh, Robert, we, we, were, we were on stage in South Africa and I said, and, and, and Robert said, so how do we do that Porsche deal? So I went through and I said, I, I said, well, we did this, 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 and this. And he goes, and he looks at me and he goes, that's how we did it? I said, yep, yeah, that's how we did it. He said, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's really simple. It's really simple. I, I mean, literally, Robert has bought toy after toy, you know, Robert loves Ferraris, Porsches, uh, Lamborghinis, Bentleys. I mean, he loves all these toys. And he's paid for every one of them, okay? He's had the government help him pay for every single one of them. And he's had the government actually help him finance it. And uh, the way Robert and I put it on stage is we, we want to make the government our partner, right? The government, I mean, wouldn't it be cool if every time you spend money, you know, your, 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 uh, your spouse says, oh, honey, you know, that's so expensive. You could say, well, the government's paying 40% of it. That's pretty cool. You know, and, and literally, there are very few, and in fact, actually, I can show you how to do it with anything. But, I mean, if, you can, if I can deduct a mentally in Chile, I tell you what, I can deduct anything. I haven't been following the rules, okay? But, but, but the point is, is that, the government wants to be your partner. They want you to do certain things. As long as you allow them to be your partner, you make them your partner, then now it's a different, it's, it's just a different animal. And, and that's the point of this. And, and I, you know, I, I just think if you can get that through, if, if you can get that, that level of understanding and, and first change your context, okay? You know, first change, it's not the content. I mean, the content we can get to, but we can't get to the content until we get the context right. And the context is the tax on the series of incentives. Yep. That's what it is. Let's take advantage of our incentives. Let's, um, uh, on Wednesday, I'll walk you through how to do that. Okay, I'm actually gonna show some great examples. Um, we've, we've had clients um, just this year. I uh, had uh, two clients, we did one thing and it saved them $160,000 in tax. We did one other thing, it saved another 60. Wow. So two things we did, two things was $160,000. Now obviously they're paying a lot of tax, so you know, if you're not paying that kind of tax, you don't get those kind of savings. But I'll tell you, everybody, every time, I, I meet with a new client tomorrow, and I, I, I guarantee you that that client, we're gonna come up with hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax savings. Well, they're coming to me, they're paying a huge amount of money. What we're going to do on Wednesday is a free webinar. I mean, a couple of hours of free webinar, free education. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate Patrick. I always appreciate your support, Patrick. I mean, Patrick, you are, uh, of course, we, we become great friends, and our families, are, uh, our, our wives are great friends. And, and uh, you know, we believe in, you know, what, what we're doing. We believe in this education, this financial education. And I, I do believe that when you get get the right financial education that all of a sudden financial freedom is not a myth. All of a sudden, um, you know, the idea of I could actually, 
you know, have assets and, and not have to work. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I, I will have some security when, you know, something happens to me or, you know, I, I can't keep going or let's say I, I decide, well, I just want to stop. Okay, I can do this. And I, I think that only happens with financial education. That's what I love what you're doing, Patrick, because you're constantly providing financial education. I, I just, for one, um, you know, uh, really applaud you for that because I think it's a great service that I never really rarely see um, financial people in the financial advisory business. Well, I think, you know, I think looking at, well, first, thank you for that, for, for that time. I, I would echo every single thing times about 100 back to you. But, but looking at really where, where I where I think it's it falls short is is kind of four four words in the English language that I think shouldn't be there. First is I can't. Second is it's impossible, and that's where or it's not possible. It, so basically, the idea is looking at what you everything that you just said, which is insanely profound. Whether it's building wealth, whether it's cutting taxes, people use these words. It's not possible. I can't. And that it, I I think they're the the fact that those that it ingrains in a person's mind that idea nothing's impossible right no, nothing uh, nothing can be can be done to change the situation and that's absolutely not true and so I would say you know education really breaks those boundaries it pushes people to the point where you know it is possible wealth is possible financial freedom is possible um, paying zero taxes is possible and so I think if a person changes their mindset as far as how something can go from what seems to be impossible to possible that's where all the miraculous things take place and I think you you have taken I don't know where the baton came from but I think you you've taken basically a charge I haven't seen anywhere of someone that's basically saying listen this is possible okay here it is laid out and I've done it in a logical way and you all you have to do is do this 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 and this and this is what the outcome will be but I think the context from what you said is is vital and if you don't understand the context then none of the application is going to make any sense well you know Patrick I, I, I remember when I was young and I was um, Actually, I, I, actually, I grew up not far from where you live, as you know. Yep. And there was a the the the, the, the church up the street had this big beautiful lawn, and uh, we go up and we want we're going to play baseball, and the the custodian came out and said you can't do that. And that that's really my first memory of somebody telling me you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing about me, Patrick, is that I am a rule follower. I, I'm not one to buck the rules. I, I don't do that. I'm not comfortable with that. Um, I, I need people's approval too much, really, to, to, to go you know, against the rules. So I'm just not going to do that. And so what I, you know, I looked at, well, I'm not going to break the rules. So how do I, the, I, I really early on formulated this question. How can I do that here? You know, so my answer always that is, you can do that here, is how do I do that here? And the same thing is true, you know, you say, well, you can't deduct a Bentley here. And I'm going, so the question is, how can I deduct a Bentley here? Yep. And I think once we change that, that mindset, like you're saying, Patrick, once we have that context shift to how can I, as opposed to you can't or what can you, and, and instead go, how can I? How can I be rich? How can I pay less tax? How can I use insurance in a, a vastly different way than anybody's used to before? How can I look at things differently? How can I get a different response? How can I do it here? And, and really, to me, that's, that's the, maybe that's where we ought to end, Patrick, is that's the question I think we should all be asking ourselves all the time. How can I do that, what I want to do, given the rules that are there? You know, we don't, I, I don't want to break any rules. I mean, 
Seriously, as, as you know, Patrick, my, one of my goals in life is never be anybody's girlfriend. <laughs> uh, so I'm signing, I sign tax returns that my, uh, for my clients. Yeah. I say it, the penalties are perjury based on everything I know. Yep. So I'm not going to take a position that I'm not comfortable with, okay, because it's, I, I really don't want my clients going to prison, but even less so. Frankly, I mean, no offense, but I, I want to be there even less. Okay, so I'm just not going to do that. I'm a rule follower. The question, though, is, okay, given care of the rules, how can I do that? And I think that once we do that, I think that our whole life changes. And we start looking at what what can I do? What you know, what dreams are possible? What 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 can I do with my family? What what could I have financial you know, how soon could I have financial freedom based on what I can do and how can I do it as opposed to you can't do that. And when you have thousands and thousands of pages of variables to choose from there's a number of ways to do it and and basically it's the education that, that helps navigate those very broad waters but, but with that being said Tom I mean it's I know we have to end the, the webinar but you know when, Wednesday night's gonna be huge because you're gonna open up this whole new world of possibilities for people and you know for those listening again this is this is something that you shouldn't shouldn't miss because taxes is the easiest way to, to free up cash flow and to start generating wealth both now and, and in the future so with that being said Tom I mean the, the link to the webinar is gonna be uh, is gonna be in, in the webinar we're also gonna put it in the email uh, that follows this uh, this webinar so make sure you look for those links and attend on Wednesday Tom any final any final words you know what thank you uh, I, I just remind everybody that when you're uh, when when you do reduce your taxes, when you start living tax free, your financial freedom is closer than you think. Yep. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Tom. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial.